Thank you. I'm Patty. I'm an alcoholic. I'm grateful to be sober. I'm grateful to be in this meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And unlike Christy, it has been necessary for me to drink. It's been an emergency. It's been so necessary for me to drink. It's been overwhelmingly, incredibly necessary for me to drink. Um, But because the 12 steps work and because men and women of Alcoholics Anonymous have been willing to share your experience, strength, and hope with me, I haven't had a drink or used another drug since I met you on October 4, 1975. And, um, <laughs> and my home group is a very, very sick woman's meeting. We meet on Thursdays. We meet on Thursdays at 6 o'clock at the Canyon Club in Laguna Beach. I attend that meeting because I look very healthy there. Um, <laughs> And it is, um, it is a real privilege for me to be here um, with you. It's a little early. Uh, it's 8.30 in California. I stay on California time uh, uh, because I, I like to live in the here and now. And uh, it gives me something to complain about when I'm on this side of the country is uh, how early it is and how abusive it is. Uh, I want to thank my friend Bob for speaking at 7 o'clock this morning. And... Uh, <laughs> And getting me out of bed. On awakening this morning, I thought of the 24 hours ahead. I thought, oh, they're going to be very long. <laughs> but it is, a, it is a real privilege to, to be here. Um, um, my sponsor always tells me when I do this, I should tell you my name and tell you the truth. I've told you my name. I'm not so sure I'm going to tell you the truth. <laughs> and the reason for that is clear to me. I mean, I don't know about anybody else in Alcoholics Anonymous, but I never knew that what it used to be like was going to be important. If I would have known when I was out there that I was going to be here this morning reporting to you what it used to be like, I would have paid a lot more attention to my life. <laughs> if I would have known when I was, if I would have known about steps four and five, I can guarantee you I would not have done some of the things that I did. <laughs> but I didn't know it was going to be important, so I didn't pay a lot of attention to my life. Coupled with that, I'm a blackout drinker. I love blackouts. I love blackouts. There's, if we could have blackouts sober, I would be the happiest woman in the room. I love blackouts. There's nothing more exciting to me than leaving work on September 12th, going back to work on September 20th, and discovering you've been there the entire time. It just, um, it just makes the time between paychecks so much shorter. But um, if you're a blackout drinker, it makes what it used to be like a little fuzzy. A lot of what I know about what it used to be like has been reported to me by other people. And I'm just sort of assuming they were telling me the truth. A lot of what it used to be like, I have a job today. I had to get a fingerprint clearance for my job. And I fingerprint really, really well. I'm really, really good at fingerprinting. I know how to roll with them. I don't resist it. I don't try and move too quickly. I just roll really nicely with it. And I was being fingerprinted for this job, and and I didn't want to raise any red flags, so I very casually said to the woman doing my prints, I said, well, how far back are you going to check? And she looked me in the eye and said, from the day you were born. And I thought, oh, man, it's like a fifth step, only it's going to be in the wrong order, because they're going to know about it before I do. And, uh, And the book Alcoholics Anonymous says more will be revealed. It doesn't say how. And uh, so when my report came back, you know how normal people, when they're going to give us what they think is bad news, they get kind of this hesitancy in their voice. And she had a real hesitancy in her voice when she called me. And she told me that my report had come back. And I said, uh-huh. And she said, you know, normally these reports are two or three pages long. I said, uh-huh. She said, yours was 56 pages. <laughs> 
And she asked me if I wanted to read it. Well, of course I did. And I went down and read that. I'm going to tell you, I know a lot more about what it used to be like having read that report than I knew before then. So a lot of the story, I mean, I don't even know if it's true, but I like the story, so I just keep telling it. It's just, um, I didn't have my first drink of alcohol until I was 13 years old. I'm really, really sorry I waited that long. But um, I had no idea of what alcohol would do to me or for me. As far as I know, I had never really thought about alcohol one way or the other. I never really thought I can't wait until I can drink. I never thought I would never drink. I mean, I just don't think I thought about alcohol at all. And yet when I was 13 years old, I was on a camping trip. We were camped uh, on the beach in Southern California, and I remember that Friday night getting into the tent. I remember I had a bottle of vodka in my pillowcase, and I was excited about having it. I had no idea what alcohol would do to me or for me, but I was excited about having this bottle. And I asked if anybody wanted any, and they didn't. And the reason they gave me for not wanting it was all we had to mix with it was grape soda and root beer. And I said, well, so what? And I took off the top, and I drank half the bottle, and I looked around the tent. Nothing had gotten different. Nothing had changed. So I drank the second half of the bottle, and that was to be the end of my social drinking. Never again after that day did I ever offer anybody a drink out of my bottle. Um, and I don't know about anybody else in Alcoholics Anonymous, but I never had resentments until I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. And one of my early resentments in Alcoholics Anonymous is I heard you talk about your first drink. And you talked about taking the drink, and you described how it felt in your mouth. And you described the sensation as it went down your throat, and you talked about it hitting your stomach and exploding. It went to your fingernails and your toenails, and your pimples fell off, and you grew up a couple inches taller, and you became Prince Charles, and wonderful things happened to you. And that, that simply wasn't the case for me. I had my first drink of alcohol, and absolutely nothing happened to me for about 15 minutes. And... Um, <clears throat> And at the end of the 15 minutes, the only thing that happened to me was I had to go to the bathroom. And it's my belief this morning that if you were to drink a quart of anything, in about 15 minutes, you'd have to go to the bathroom. So I got out of the tent, and I shuffled through the sand to the outhouse, and I went in and went to the bathroom. And when I got done and went to get up, I realized I was absolutely and totally 100% paralyzed to the toilet seat. I couldn't move. I couldn't even blink. I didn't feel my heart beating. And I was overcome with a sense of fear. And, of course, the fear was that somebody else was going to have to come use that outhouse, and there I was, paralyzed to the toilet seat. <laughs> Later in my drinking, I did discover that two people can use the same toilet at the same time if the second person is very careful about what they're doing. But... <laughs> it's a visual, isn't it? <laughs> but... Um... But I didn't know that at 13. What I did know is I somehow intuitively knew that the body was made up of energy. And I somehow figured if I could gather my energy, I would be all right. So I've always referred to it as my first formal meditation. Because I sat and I gathered my energy. And when it seemed to be all in one place, when it seemed to be centrally located, I just sort of fell off the toilet, out the door, into the sand, and started crawling back to the tent. Now, since coming to Alcoholics Anonymous, I have, of course, discovered my entire problem that night was my attitude. If my attitude would have been right, I could have had a fantasy as in Marines as being dive-bombed as I was trying to get back to safety. And if my attitude would have been right, it could have been a wonderful experience. Now, in my own defense, I have to tell you, my pants were still down at my ankles. <laughs> I had started to get sick. I couldn't quite get through it. I couldn't get around it. And I think under those circumstances, it's a little difficult to have a good attitude. I did somehow manage to get back to the tent. I fell in and I passed out. 
And when I came to in the morning, I realized nobody was in the tent with me, and I couldn't figure out where they went until my eyes cleared enough that I realized I'd been sick all night long. Like you've never been sick. I had... I hit the top of the tent, the side, the floor of the tent. I hadn't missed a square inch. And quite frankly, I don't want to be in the tent either. So I got out of there. And, uh, and that was my first drink of alcohol. And it was the most amazing, incredible, fabulous, magnificent, spiritual, wonderful experience I'd ever had in my entire life. And it must have been because I put some amount of alcohol into my body from that day until the day I came through the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I didn't always get drunk. I didn't always drink the kinds of things that you would classify as a beverage. I drank a lot of vanilla extract. I used to buy it by the six-pack. I remember the day the guy at the market called me over, and he said, Patty, I can't let you buy vanilla extract anymore. He says, I can't believe anybody bakes as much as you do. And I, and I got cut off from that supply. I drank a lot of mouthwash. I drank a lot of perfume. Taboo became my after-dinner drink of choice. I still, I still have a fondness for it. If you're wearing it, I may follow you too closely and laugh at your neck. I just... Uh, the women in my in my home group are this very very sick group of women. One a couple of years ago decided to you know trick the old lady and about eight or nine of them wore, wore taboo and came to the meeting. I just spun the entire hour and a half. I couldn't like I couldn't focus on anything. Ah! And uh, I'm often tempted when I share to just identify myself and say I'm Patty and I'm a pig because I'm the kind of person that came to your house and ate and drank everything in your bathroom and. Uh, um, <laughs> And how do we know to do that? How do we know to do that? I don't know how I knew to do that. I mean, I was a bar drinker. I was an alley drinker, a car drinker, an office drinker, a living room drinker, a dumpster drinker. I, I didn't specialize. I just drank. But I love bars. I love sleazy, nasty, disgusting bars, which you probably don't have any of in Mount Vernon. But let me explain what they look like. I like those kind of bars that have sawdust on the floor. I like them when the mirrors are cracked, so you kind of have to dip around to see yourself in there. Um, the upholstery around the bar is ripped, where people have tried to hold on as they're falling off their bar stool. It's, it's always a nice touch if there's a broken piece of furniture somewhere in the room. And they used to be full of smoke. In California, you can't smoke in a bar anymore, which makes absolutely no sense to me. I drank in bars where guys could take a piss against the wall. Um, <laughs> Apparently, they can still do that, but they can't smoke a cigarette in there. <laughs> but they used to be full of smoke, and they had that wonderful used booze urine smell. That I, I salivate still when I think about that. I love that smell. I mean, there are some days when I'm in a really, really cranky mood, and I'll go buy one of those joints and open the door and take a hit off of that, and it just perks me up for the rest of the day. I, but... Um, but what fascinates me is the quality of people who drank in those bars. I mean, there were CEOs of really big companies. There were bank presidents, admirals in the Air Force, neurosurgeons. I mean, that's what they said they were. And I. <laughs> but we weren't sitting around having conversations like, well, what do you prefer, the red mouthwash or the green? Well, what's your preference, Chantilly or Aqua Velva? We weren't having those kinds of conversations. So I don't know how I know that I can come and eat and drink. It's just kind of an intuitive knowing that we have. But... Um, I had an opportunity to go to college. I went to San Diego State. I graduated from there with a 3.8 grade point average. In retrospect, I can tell you I was drinking on a daily basis. I was a chronic, hopeless, helpless alcoholic, only I didn't know it, and I'm a blackout drinker. And I graduated from college with a 3.8 grade point average. Um, I stayed at San Diego and took classes for a master's degree. I'm one of those people, if I'm doing something well, I want to keep doing it, and apparently I do school well. 
And that almost killed me in Alcoholics Anonymous because when I got here, I told you I was too smart to be an alcoholic. Nobody with a 3.8 grade point average could possibly be an alcoholic. I left San Diego because I had taken all the classes San Diego State had to offer. I have a disease that manifests itself in rationalization, justification, and denial. No matter what it is I do, I explain to you why I'm doing it. And as I'm explaining it to you, I'm hearing it. As I'm hearing it, I'm believing it. And I think I'm leaving San Diego because I've taken all the classes San Diego State has to offer. I don't think I'm leaving because I have one more drunk driving assault charge pending. And um, <laughs> Another resentment I got in Alcoholics Anonymous, I found out here you can get arrested for a single charge of drunk driving. I never knew that I was get arrested for drunk driving assault. And it had something to do with how I got out of the car. And here's, here's the thing. I'm driving down the street. The light comes on behind me. I pull over. The officer walks up. Now, the first thing I do is slam my car door open. And my intent is, is to knock him in the private parts. <laughs> Men are a little fuzzy about their private parts. So as the door is flying open, he jumps back to protect himself. And when he jumps back, it's really a good thing because now he's far enough away that I can get him in focus. And I think, one of him, one of me. One of him, one of me, I think I can take him. One of him, one of me, I think I'll try. And I go out the car for him. And it was a really good fight for a couple of minutes. Now, I was a lot younger then, but it was a good fight for a couple of minutes. But I wouldn't remember that back of the car, he had a friend. And the friend had a radio. And the friend would call some more friends. And pretty soon be three or four of them. One of me, it's not fair anymore. I say, uncle, and they take me away. Next time the light comes on behind me, I pull over. The officer walks up. I slam the car door open, try and knock him into private parts. He jumps back to protect himself. He gets far enough away that I can get him in focus. And I think, one of him, one of me. One of him, one of me, I think I can take him. One of him, one of me, I think I'll try, and I would go for him. Really good fight for a minute or two, but I wouldn't remember the friend, the radio, and the friend's friends. Pretty soon, before five of them, one of me, it's not fair anymore. Um, they take me away, and uh, next time the light comes on behind me, and I don't do that once or twice. I did that three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve times. Never remembered the friend, the radio, and the friend's friend. And, uh, and that's the insanity of mind disease. The insanity of mind disease is I do the same thing over and over, and I think the results are going to be different. This time it's a fair fight. This time I'm going to take him. And, and uh, I don't think I'm leaving because I have another one of those. Now, I drank during the time. I don't know if it was a good thing or a bad thing. It just was. I, I drank during the time where the state of California did not get their underwear in such a knot about drunk driving. And I understand they're a little chesty about it now, but... Uh, they never used to. I mean, I had no, well, I lost my driver's license, but you really don't need that to drive a car. Um, <laughs> but other than that, I had no consequences. I mean, I'd call an attorney, I'd pay him $1,000, which was a lot of money, and uh, he'd write a letter, he'd make a phone call, whatever he'd do, and that would kind of be the end of it. I never really heard much about it, but one time I had two pending at the same time, and my attorney was nervous. Now, if your attorney's nervous, I think you ought to worry about it. <laughs> So I'm in a bar, worried about the fact that my attorney's nervous, and I just struck up a conversation with this guy sitting next to me, and as luck would have it, he worked in a mortuary. And I think alcoholics, we come up with really good plans really quickly. And this was one of my best. We went over to the mortuary. We got a death certificate. We put my name on it. We filled out all the pertinent information. We forged a doctor's signature, and we sent it to the court because they can't expect a lot from you if you're dead. And I called my attorney and I told him he didn't need to worry about it. And he didn't worry. I didn't worry. Nobody worried for, I don't know, maybe a month, 45 days. And the light came on behind me and I pulled over and the officer walked up. And, uh, and this time the judge wanted to see me. And I couldn't figure out why he wanted to see me. He never wanted to see me before. But I went. I'm a good sport. I went. And I'll, I'll never forget him looking at me. He said, Miss Ochoa, tell me, how is it a dead person is standing in my court? 
And I looked at him with all sincerity, shrugged my shoulders, and said, I don't know, bad luck? And, um, <laughs> and that's what I thought it was. It was bad luck. It was circumstances and conditions. It was the cops. It was you and they and them. It was a lot of things that never occurred to me had anything to do with alcohol. never occurred to me. And I don't think I'm leaving San Diego because I have another drunk driving assault charge pending. I think I'm leaving because I've taken all the classes San Diego State has to offer. I don't think I'm leaving because I have a roommate who's a little annoyed with me. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I seem to attract people who are just a nuisance. But um, <laughs> I'm a bar drinker. Now, even in the worst of my alcoholism, I have a tremendous amount of compassion. Even as the most chronic, hopeless, helpless alcoholic, I had a huge amount of compassion. And... And I'm in a bar drinking, and now the men who drank in the bars that I drank in, and if this offends you, I guess you deserve it, but the men who drank in the bars that I drank in had very little creativity. They had two basic lines. My wife doesn't understand, and I have no place to stay tonight. That was typically the end of their conversation. So some guy would come on to me with one of those lines, and I have all this compassion, so I would say, look, I'll take you home with me tonight, but I don't want to talk to you again until the bar closes. So being a lady of my word, when the bar closed, I'd take this guy home with me. And we'd get to my house. I'd send him into the bedroom, telling him I had to go to the bathroom. He'd go into the bedroom on the right. I would go into my bedroom on the left. And I had just sent him in with my roommate. Now, <laughs> some nights I was okay with her. Some nights she didn't mind at all. Other nights... Within a matter of minutes, there'd be all this banging on my bedroom door, which I had, of course, locked. I mean, I had 7 o'clock classes. I had to get some rest. If it would have always been all right or never been all right, I'd have been okay. But she was so inconsistent. You'd have drank if you lived with her. She was so inconsistent. So I don't think I'm leaving because she's a little annoyed with me. I think I'm leaving because I've taken all the classes San Diego State has to offer. I was offered a job in Chico, California, which is about as far north as you can get. I loaded everything I owned into my car, I took two cases of beer, two bottles of booze, and I headed north. I got to Santa Ana, which is not the place you want to shoot for, but I got to Santa Ana, I was out of booze, and I was thirsty. I pulled off the freeway, I have a sense I can find the sleaziest bar in town without even looking for it. I walked into this place, it was full of smoke, it had that wonderful used booze urine smell. Willie Nelson was singing on the jukebox, and I knew I was home. That's as far north as I ever got, 88 miles from where I started from. <laughs> Alcohol had become my mother, my father, my God, my lover, my friend, my companion, my support. And at some point it had turned, and I've always believed it was in the middle of my first drink, but at some point it had turned and began to strip me of self-esteem, self-worth, decency, integrity, honesty, pride, all the things we have going for us as human beings. And long before I got to you, it had taken it all. Long before I got to you, alcohol controlled every area of my life where I would live, where I would work, the people I would run with, and eventually the people I would run from. And I didn't have a clue. I thought I drank because I wanted to drink. I didn't know that at 13 years old I put alcohol into an alcoholic body, and from that day on I had no choice. I went immediately into the profession of my choice. I rose very quickly to the top, and that too almost killed me in Alcoholics Anonymous. Because when I got here, I told you I was too successful to be an alcoholic. I told you about the trophies and the plaques. But I didn't tell you about, I was in the newspaper business, and we often gave awards, and, and we often won awards. And I didn't tell you about the time that I would come out of a blackout standing behind a podium much like this in a room full of people holding an award not knowing if I was giving it or receiving it. <laughs> and so I would say thank you, and I would go sit down, and then I'd get elbowed and told I was presenting it to the Kiwanis Club, and I'd have to get up and start over again. And, and I didn't tell you that. I just told you I was too successful to be an alcoholic. I was, uh, um, one, of my, one of my huge problems is I always had bad car karma. I don't know if anybody else has bad car karma, but I always had bad car karma. And 
And uh, one night, and I and I probably didn't want to drink every night. But when you're in the newspaper business, you have to go to the bar every night. I mean, we worked really long hours, really hard, and then you're required to go to the bar because that's where the news is. That's where you get the leads. That's where you get the contacts. Now. In my own defense, I have to tell you, I did periodically get some good leads in the bars. The problems were I would write the notes on those little napkins, and then the glass would sweat, and the ink would run. And, <laughs> and then in the morning, I'd look at it, and the ink's on, and I couldn't read it. I was like, oh, my God, I've got to go back there again tonight. I hope that guy's there tonight. And, uh, and I'm sure I didn't really even want to go, but it's part of my job I was required. And... Uh, one of my uh, one of my great assets is I'm a I'm a great thinker. I think all the time. I mean, sometimes I hear still newcomers don't think. I don't know how you do that. I think all the time. I'm talking to you. I'm thinking about something else, and I start thinking about what I'm thinking. Then I start thinking I shouldn't be thinking what I'm thinking. While I'm thinking what I'm thinking. That. And I'll tell you what. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I don't have a loudspeaker on my head so that everything I thought came barreling out. I mean, that would be truly humiliating. But I think all the time, and I've always thought all the time. And was one particular night I leave the bar and I'm thinking and I'm and I'm driving and I'm thinking and I turn left onto my street and just as I turned left the power steering on my car went out. And I crashed into a car on the left hand side of the street and I turned the steering wheel just a little to get back to the center and I crashed into a car on the right. And then I crashed into one on the left and then I crashed into one on the right and I finally got to my house and pulled into the driveway, and I just sat there for a minute so relieved that I had gotten home safely. <laughs> just sat in a moment of 